We are busy with a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is our preacher, and the preachers who preach on it here simply points to what Jesus said. It's an opportunity for us to go a little bit deeper into what he taught us at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're moving a little bit across from the inside focus to an outward focus. Up until now, we've studied the Beatitudes, which speaks about a new heart, a new way of living, a new reality inside of us as we follow Christ Jesus. But as we're going to see, the text starts focusing away from us and a little bit more to now that you have this blessed, happy, to be envied life that you live in, you've got to take that to an outward expression. So it's important to know that the blessedness or true blessedness is more than something on the inside. It leads us onward to, onward to share it to the outside. So we're going to talk about our outward expression of what it is to be truly blessed. The word outward in itself means to move away from a certain place or point. And this morning God showed me a picture in pre-service prayer that I want to share with you. And the question he asked me is, are you spiritually fit or spiritually fat? What we think is we come and we get a meal when we study the word of God or on Sunday. And that's true. It's the word of God. We eat it. It's bread. It's life. But some of us are just eating and we think we're spiritually fit. But we've become spiritually fat because there's absolutely no action from the eating. We haven't taken these things seriously enough to say, okay, God, I've eaten this meal. Now the energy, the nutrients, everything I got from this meal, I need to actually use and exercise. And some of you think that you are spiritually fit, but you've only been receiving and eating. You have not put it into action and living and taking it out. And I believe that by the Spirit of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning, He wants us to see the Word as a mirror. And we've got to ask that question, am I spiritually fat, just eating, eating, just getting more, just me, I just want more, or do I actually put that into action? And now that I've got this blessed life, the Beatitudes has been shared with me, I know what it is to be truly happy, I want to run, and, and the energy I get from that, I want to share it to the outside world. That's what it is to be spiritually fit. It's not just in the getting, but it's also in the going. It's not just in the receiving, but it's also in putting it into action. That's why Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears this and puts it into action is like a man or a woman who builds their house on a rock. It's not just the hearing, it's also the action. So this morning, Jesus takes us on from the Beatitudes and he starts speaking about what now? Now that I taught you what it is to be truly blessed, totally different to the concept of the world. What do you guys do now? And he gives us some marching orders. And you can turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 5. We're going to be reading only three verses this morning. Verses 13 to 15 will be up on the screen as well. But what happened just before that, Jesus says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness. The more you exercise the Beatitudes, the more righteous you will become, and then you will experience persecution. That's what Roger did so gracefully last week, to say, if you're not experiencing any persecution, where people kind of make you feel awkward or they don't want to hear what you say, you, you've just got to understand that that's part of the Christian life. You aren't called to be comfortable at every single bri. You've just got to open your mouth sometimes and speak the word of God. 
Even though they don't invite you back because we are the carriers of the message of the gospel. Would it be okay to not be invited back to that bride because we spoke about Jesus? Absolutely, it's supposed to be okay. And we feel offended when we don't get invited back because we spoke the truth about Christ. We don't face imprisonment or death. We might not just be invited back. That's what it is to be persecuted to us in our world today. And Jesus starts then and says, you are blessed when it happens. Be happy, enjoy it because you've witnessed about me. And then he says something profound and let's read together. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and in it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus takes a big turn of, of how he speaks. He just told the guys, if you do this, you will become blessed. And then he speaks into their identities, but you already are salt and you already are light. So the two most important words for us as a church this morning are the words, you are. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are salt. Say, you are light. You guys are always saying much more than what you're supposed to say. But get the revelation here. We think we should become salt. We think we should become light. The moment we encounter Christ Jesus and we become part of his kingdom, we already are that. There's not a climb to become it more, but the trick in this whole thing is that we can become it less. And that's what he addresses. You are salt. You already are that because of me. Don't lose it. Don't let your saltiness fall away until it becomes useless. You are already light. Please don't hide it. We try and think that we, there's greater measures of salt, greater measures of light that we achieve. The fullness was given to us. We have the keys to keep it there or let that decrease in our lives. My prayer is the morning that we would get a revelation that we are that and we simply just live it. You don't have to become salt, you are salt. You don't have to become light, you are light. But maybe some of us have slipped and we haven't been as salty and as light-giving as God has intended for us to be. Let's talk about these two metaphors that Jesus uses. Strong words, very, very specific because that's the way that Jesus preaches. He didn't just choose two random things. He chose these two things because of what it does and what it is. What does salt do? Salt flavors, it preserves, and it heals. It also creates a thirst. Sometimes when we're salty amongst those who don't know Jesus, they become thirsty. Because they I need like I am now, a little bit of Stefan's amazing water. But I need a little bit of what Jacques has because when I'm around him, in my soul, I'm becoming thirsty. But it flavors, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute. But are we as the church being flavored by the culture or do we flavor the culture? 
Do we just align to everything that's out there and look like the world? Or do we flavor the world? Because that's what soul does. It determines the flavor. It doesn't get determined by the flavors around. It preserves. Do we as a church preserve the goodness of God, the lasting work of his power in our midst? It heals. Are we healing up those broken, oozing, sore, painful wounds of people's souls with the gospel message of Jesus? The second metaphor is light. What does light do? Light is life-giving. We won't exist on this earth without light. There's no way that planet earth could exist without light. So light is life-giving. Do we live our lives in a way that it's life-giving to others? What does light do? Light guides. In the beginning, God gave the sun and the moon as light, guiding lights to us as people here on earth. Is your life living in such a way before the Father where you haven't put a basket over your light that other people look and say, I see Uncle Brian's life and the way he lives guides me to greater truth and to Jesus. What does light do? It warms up and it brings heat. And where the church has stopped being salt, a nation is in decay. Where the church stopped being light, a nation is in darkness. To bring it down to our own families, maybe there's decay spiritually and darkness in your own family. It might just be because we've slipped back from the full saltiness we received in Jesus and we've put a bucket over our heads because of the light that is in us. You are the salt, so just be salt. You are the light, so simply just be light. Just be who God has made you to be. That's what Jesus is saying. You know how powerful this is? Jesus calls himself later on the light of the world. He immediately gives us the same identity as him. At the beginning of his ministry, he already says, you know what, just like me, you are the light of the world. Imagine Jesus walked around with a bucket over his head, limiting the light that was in him. This wouldn't have been here this morning. Imagine the apostles limiting their light, saying, you know what, this is what Jesus teaches. It's important and it impacted my life and I like getting it, but I'm not that worried about giving it out. This is immediately identifying us as followers of Jesus. And I've got three simple points this morning. First one is a question. When it comes to salt, are you a culture consumer or a culture creator? When you think about your saltiness, do you simply just let all the other flavors of the world influence who you are? Or are you the one who applies your saltiness and changes the flavor of culture around you? It's an important question that you've got to ask yourself this morning. Are you a culture consumer or a culture creator? You know what's interesting about salt? Salt only experiences its full identity when it's applied. If I've got some salt lying down on the floor, it's not doing anything except becoming less salty because of oxidation. It's just a plain chemical compound. That's what it is. But the moment you apply it, it becomes active. It heals. It gives flavor to food. You understand what I'm saying? A couple of weeks ago, 
Helena and I were on our way to London to attend the Bull Conference there, and we had an interesting moment where I was watching a movie, I can't remember what I watched, and she started watching a documentary on an artist called Avicii. Anyone heard of him? Great. His name is Tim Berkling. And sadly, three weeks ago, he passed away by taking his own life at the age of 28. But I remember so vividly sitting, trying to watch my movie with Elena next to me, watching this documentary, and I couldn't focus on my movie. My attention was pulled the whole time to this documentary about Avicii's life. And every now and again, Elena would tell me, to stop your movie, listen to this. And she would pop her earphones onto my head. And we could hear the story of how this young man was just completely gifted by God and the talent of music, but how the culture of the world just got it and broke him. So much so that he decided in 2016 that he's not gonna tour anymore because of the pressure of the culture of this world. He's losing his health, he's losing his energy, and he just doesn't enjoy it. So if, you, if you've ever seen him doing a live concert, he just he walks on stage with a DJ desk and he just throws his hands in the air and literally hundreds of thousands of people just go berserk by his music. And I remember watching this documentary and in my heart I, I could see the brokenness that he has. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, what has become of us that we, we just listen to this music on a Saturday and a Friday night and we have a great time but we stop to pause and listen to the words of his outcry. Honestly, I can't listen to that the same anymore. And I'm not here to spoil your day and your playlist. <laughs> and he said this, one day you'll leave this world behind, so live a life you will remember. 28 years old, self-inflicted wounds because he couldn't deal with the pain anymore. And we listen to this music and we stop, we don't stop to consider what he's saying. You've gotta understand something, artists use music to express their feelings and their questions and their emotions. We just hear a great beat and a good melody and we just, we're there. This is amazing. Like, Woohoo, wake me up. But I'm gonna read you the lyrics of what he said and I want you to hear his outcry this morning. He said this, I'm feeling my way through the darkness. I'm guided by a beating heart. I can't tell where the journey will end but I know where to start. They tell me I'm too young to understand. They say I'm caught up in a dream. Well, this life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes. Well, that's fine by me. So wake me up when it's all over, when I'm wise and when I'm older. All this time I was finding myself and I didn't know I was lost. I tried carrying the weight of the world, but I only have two hands. Hope I get a chance to travel the world, but I don't have any plans. Wish that I could stay forever this young, not afraid to close my eyes. Life is a game made for everyone, and love is a prize. So wake me up when it's all over, when I'm wiser and I'm older. All this time I was finding myself, and I didn't know I was lost. 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 Do you hear the cry of the Father this morning for the lost generation of people who's just simply waiting for you to be salt and light? 
Or are you just so trampled by the culture of today that you're not giving it flavor anymore because you're not salty? I'm not crying because of emotion. I'm crying because of the Spirit of the Lord that wants to tell us as a church this morning, every nation summers the west, you have to be salt and light to this world. That's what Jesus said. If you lose your saltiness, the people, the culture will trample on you. You don't have any more effect. His parents issued a statement and they just said this. He really battled with the thoughts of life, meaning and happiness. He just could not go on any longer. He wanted to find peace. We've just talked about happiness, the Beatitudes. We just talked about peace in the Beatitudes. We better take that to the world. Because here's a young man who battled with this. And I really hope that there, at some point in his life, was someone who followed Jesus and reached out to him and not just say, yes, dude, I love your music, but I can hear your outcry for love and I can hear that you're saying you are lost. I'm sometimes undone by the thought that, and God speaks about it in the prophets in the Old Testament, how sometimes the blood are on our hands. We, we didn't take the message that he's given us. I sometimes wonder where the response in eternity for many would be, well, I didn't know that I was lost. No one told me. How did Jesus tell people they lost through us? How does Jesus change people's lives through a church having an understanding that we are fully salt, we are fully light, so let's not slip back and stop being that. Are we culture consumers or are we culture creators? Second thing I wanna say this morning, I wanna ask you, are you a light reflector or a light retractor? It says in the word that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. You reflect the light of God. And the only way I can take away the reflection from my watch on the lights that's shining upon it is to put something in between. And so many of us have done that. We've put the basket over our heads of our time with the Lord, of our intimacy with Jesus, and we simply not reflect him in anymore. We've retracted from the light that he shines upon us, and we've lost being in his presence and reflecting who he is to the world. Jesus said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. Proverbs 4 verse 18 says, the way of the righteous is like the morning sun. That's us, that's you. Your way and the way you live is like the morning sun shining ever brighter until the full light of day when Jesus returns in his fullness. Are we shining ever brighter? Are we sensing that there's more light reflected off us into this world? That's what the scripture says. The way you live reflects that light. And if you want more light in your life, all you need is more time with Jesus. Because the more you spend time with him, you're gonna be shaped into his image and you're gonna be reflecting a light. So don't put anything in the way. If you tell me this morning, Pierre, you know what, my life is really busy, I get that. But why don't you wake up 15 minutes earlier to pray and be with Jesus, 15. This week I, I, was, I heard a statement that said, we've gotta sacrifice some time for TV to pray. 
And I'm like, that's the wrong way around, people. TV should be sacrificing time with my father. When I watch TV, I should be saying, I'm actually sacrificing time with Jesus. And I'm not saying you shouldn't watch TV. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is our language of culture. It's like, okay, I'll make this sacrifice. I'm, I'll go tonight to prayer meeting and I'll, I'll let that show play or I, I'll let that, that meeting go because I'm sacrificing to go pray. <laughs> the sacrifice is not praying. The sacrifice is not being with Jesus. The only way we become culture creators is we are completely with him at any, every opportunity we have. And then we start reflecting light and we don't retract of the light that is shining upon our lives. Jesus speaks prophetically of what we will become. We'll become like him, where he is the light of the world. And he's saying to the people, you are that. You sitting in front of me on this mountain, you will be light to this world. Don't hide it. The other day I drove from the airport as I picked up one of our guests for this week. I love when you see the city lights of Summers West and I could tell them that's our town. Just on a hill. You can't hide that, there's no way. But somehow we as a church have not become that anymore. And I say church globally, not just here. We put a basket over it and we're not reflecting the light of God to the world. And the third thing I wanna to say to you this morning, it's all about good works and glory. How do we do this, Pierre? It's simple. You reflect the glory of the Father by doing good works in this earth. Jesus said, in the same way, like the city shines on a hill, like the light shines in a home, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, say good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The ultimate goal for all of this is the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ. And we simply change culture and, and the flavor of it by being salt, reflect by the way we live our Christian walk. And this is where I say that's the tension between being spiritually fat, spiritually fit. Are we just getting or do we show the world our good works so that they may glorify the Father as well. I wanna end with a few thoughts from a book I'm busy reading. It speaks about exactly this. It's from Pastor Rice Brooks, who wrote the book, The Human Right. He's written three books. This is the third one in a series. The first two is called God's Not Dead. We did a study on that years back. Second one is called Man, Myth, Messiah. And he says that those two books are written predominantly for the unbelievers, to, for the atheists and the skeptics to try and explain to them scientifically how you can prove God's existence. That God and science isn't two separate things. Science actually proves the existence of God. And he addresses some interesting things. He, he said this the other day in London. He said, it's interesting how parents come up to me and say, ah, you know what, with spiritual things, I'll just, I'll let my kid decide for themselves. But you enforce the timetables on your children. You tell them two times two is four, four times four is 16. Five times five is 25. Because it's science, right? So that will enforce. But science proves the existence of God. But we want to tell them, you figure out your spirituality, not gonna pressure you. 
And you know what? I realized that for some of us, it's because we've been pressured in a, in a religious system. And you're trying to fight that. You don't fight that by not doing it at all. You fight that by doing it right. We as parents are called, and I didn't plan to go here, but we are called to tell our children about Jesus. Every time we can, every opportunity we can. Don't fall in that trap to say I'll enforce natural laws on them but not spiritual laws. That's what we are called to do. But in this book, The Human Right, he speaks to us, the church, and he challenges us and he says, the ultimate human right is the right to hear the gospel. We live in a world where human rights are elevated, accentuated at every turner, a, corner, a turn of every corner. Turner, that's a new word. I'll go look it up. I'll give you the Greek explanation for that next week. But human rights has almost become the word of the day. The ultimate human right is the right to hear the gospel. Because the gospel changes hearts. And any injustice in this world comes from broken hearts. Hunger exists because people's hearts are haughty. They want more money. They want more gain. If they encounter the gospel, the heart will change and they'll give and share their food with the hungry. This is what Bryce Brooks says in his book, and I want you to read this with me, but read it intently. He says, to call Christ Lord means believing his words and modeling them to the world around us. Our greatest calling in life is to proclaim the truth and to support its claims with our lifestyles. To lack a sense of urgency in this calling is to evidence some doubt about its truth. Let's pause there. What's he saying? He's saying what Jesus said. You are the salt, you are the light. Now live in a way that your good works are seen. But he says if we don't do it, it begs the question, do we truly believe it? Because if we truly believed it, we would do it. He shared the story of how he spoke to an atheist in Iceland. And the atheist came to him and said, Rice, if your claims are true, then surely the best thing a Christian can do is come and share that truth with me. So why is the church holding back? Because if they believe that salvation and eternity all depends on the cross of Jesus, then you have to share it with us. And he spoke to him and said, I know, it is the truth. And the, long, the short of the long story is started loving on this man and today he's one of the leaders in Iceland who goes to other atheists and shares this revelation with them. But let's see how this quote continues. Because of this, this is why many have opted for social justice campaigns that have no reference to the gospel, substituting God's truth for their own wisdom. Now is no time to perpetuate such a catastrophic mistake. Let's pause there. So what we've done is we stopped being true salt and true light. And we see human need. And we think human, human rights are purely physical. So we address it purely in our own wisdom and physically, without the gospel message. I'll give you some bread, but I'm not gonna tell you about Jesus because I'm scared of being persecuted. I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up my home, whatever it is that you do to reach, 
But let's not make it uncomfortable and talk about Jesus. And then this last statement, when I read it, I was undone. It says this, hearing the gospel is a fundamental human right, arguably the most important right of all. And denying it to anyone is likewise the greatest injustice of all. When we deny people our saltiness and our light, we're doing them an injustice. We have to become a church that set the tone and create culture. We have to become and be a church that reflects light and don't try everything in our ability to stop that reflection. We have to become a people who do our good works for the glory of God. Then we will live just and right before the Lord and his name will be confessed around the world. We've got something that we as a team have prayed about that we're gonna do this morning in response to this message. It's not just a moment. We believe the Spirit of God is gonna kick us into movement to be salt and to be light. And it's called Just One. What Just One is all about, and over the next few weeks, you guys can put up the image. All we're asking is that you take just one step to be salt and light in your world. Just one step. What, could, what, what kind of steps can you take? Well, you can strike up that conversation that's been pending with these names. You could send a scripture or send a voice message and pray for them. Just one step might be you, you actually go and knock on your neighbor's door and introduce yourself with some warm muffins and hot chocolate and look them in the eye and say, Jesus loves you. The other day we were driving past McDonald's, this week, Eliana and I, confessing there. Um, it was quite fun, it was after the first night of the conference and years back when we toured as musicians, after a gig, McDonald's was the place. You just, you go and you just stuff your face with a whole lot of bad cheeseburgers. So we kind of relived that moment and I pulled into the McDonald's and we ordered our meal and as we got up to the McDonald's, and that's a captive audience, I love McDonald's drive-thrus, not for the food, but for the captive audience. Agnes, the lady who works there, popped her head through the door or through the window and she handed me my food because I'm hungry. And I felt, Lord, I've got something to give her. And I took it and I could see the weight of the world on her shoulders in that moment. I said, what's your name? She said, Agnes. I said, Agnes, Jesus just wants to tell you that he sees that you're burdened and that you're not feeling great today. And I could see her light up. And as I was holding the packet that she was giving me, I said, Lord Jesus, I just pray for Agnes right now that she will have an encounter with your spirit. And I said, even now as she stands there, Holy Spirit, touch her body, strengthen her, that that weight falls off her back. And may she have an incredible evening. And she was completely undone and just startled and kind of, she just said, thank you. Just one step at a McDonald's drive-through impacted her life. I believe there will be fruit on that moment because I really believe God touched her. So how do we activate this message? Just one. One conversation, one meal, one step. And then when we've had the one, we just take another one. And when we gave that one prophetic word to a stranger, we just give another one. And when we've given our one blanket, we just give another one. 
We just keep doing just one thing at a time and we will see Ephesians 2 happen in our life. We say we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, salt and light that he has prepared for us beforehand and we will walk in them. I can't wait to see the fruit in this house when every one of us just take one step to find that good work that gives glory to the Father and let people see our light and taste our salt. Dave, why don't you come and join me? How are we gonna respond this morning is we've made these beautiful, and I like them. For someone that doesn't wear a lot of color, I actually like these quite a lot. It's just one little armbands. It's like the Live Strong ones and you know all those that people wear. Now we don't want you to live like, look like Christmas trees and just add another one to your arm this morning, but I believe God, God spoke to our hearts through the word this morning. Can you say amen? I believe there's a new season for us to take a risk in sharing the gospel. You know what? It's not that big a risk. Someone might just not like you that much. That's all. And that's okay. I could maybe deal with one less WhatsApp message. <laughs> so it's not a big risk to just take one step. But I, I want you to be sober on this decision, really. Lord, I've heard your words, Jesus. And this week, in fact, today, I'm gonna to take just one step.